I got interviewed by someone that said, did you leave the door open and go back? I said, oh, the door's open, but I ain't going back through it. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. If you Google for anything barbecue related, it'll probably lead you to YouTube, where I can guarantee you, you'll see a video pop up of our guest, Matt Pittman. He's the founder of Meat Church, and he's one of the most well-known barbecue personalities in the industry. But Matt, he wasn't always talking about brisket and ribs with his infamous holy cow rub. That was his passion project. And in this episode, we talk about his career and what it took to make a pivot from a comfy position inside of IT to going all in with Meat Church. But it's not all about just career growth and even barbecue, because Matt is now turning his sights into another discovered passion, and that's of course, bourbon. He discusses how his eyes were opened during a bottle share, and with the help of the Dallas Bourbon Club, he's also starting to build out his very own collection. With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea is actually a comment from Cade Sterling, who writes me on fredminnick.com, and regarding my uh, Above the Char episode about how to organize a tasting. Thanks for giving your thoughts on how to organize a tasting. You've completely changed how I'll introduce people to bourbon and how I'll suggest others to do it. I really appreciate you answering such a common and basic question in a thoughtful way. That was on February 16th, that episode aired. And Kate, I appreciate you saying that. One thing that I did not bring up, and and the reason why I'm kind of transforming this above the jar into a little extra uh, suggestion, and that are tasting mats. Tasting mats are so, so, so important for a private event or for a little get-together. And a tasting mat is essentially you have chosen your whiskeys for the tasting, whether it is blind, meaning you don't know what they are, in which case you would have a, it would be glass A, glass B, glass D, glass C, et cetera, et cetera. I did that completely backwards, but you get what I'm saying. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, et cetera. Or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And, you could put the proof on there if you wanted to, or you could say it's a barrel finish or what type it is. You can put as much information on you as you want on there, or you can just leave it blank. But it's good because people can have tasting notes. Or if you know what the products are, you want to have uh, what they are. So if it's E.H. Taylor, bottled and bond, you want to put the proof on there, which is 100. I like to put the age range or an age statement if you have one, like... You know, maybe it's Knob Creek, in which case Knob Creek would have a nine-year-old age statement. You know, it's always good to put mash bills on there if you have it. As much information as you can put on the tasting mat, the better. And you always want to have a little spot to put your tasting notes. So people actually like to write what they're tasting. Yeah, I know it's crazy, right? You know, uh, you put uh, like, I'm tasting cinnamon, I'm tasting caramel. They write it all right there. But the most important reason why you have a tasting mat is it's something for people to take home. People will fold that up, put it in their dresser, and they'll, they'll remember that moment, and they'll want to try to do that again for someone else. Like I do hundreds of tastings. On a given year, I'll do between 40 and 100 tastings a year, either in-person, virtual, public, private, 
someone's house, at a restaurant, at a theater, wherever. And what I've noticed is everybody always takes the tasting mats with them because it's a souvenir. And it doesn't matter how big or small uh, the tasting event is. It's a special moment for that person. And so that's one little piece I would add to that episode, Cade, is that the tasting mat is quintessential to a proper tasting at home. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you want to be like Cade, whether you have a comment or a question, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button, and I'll uh, answer the email on the air. Cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here today talking to somebody that is very well known inside the barbecue world. And I know that I've followed along with it. He's done for a while. Ryan, I think we might have mutually gotten turned on to him from different ways because I had a friend in the tech world that I used to know, and he was personal friends with him. And that's how I started getting into the seasoning and the rubs and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you had a, a spinoff and, and got in contact with him. I think it was through somebody in the Dallas Bourbon Club as well. Well, yeah, but before that, I was like, each Halloween we have this uh, like chili cook-off. Our kids get together with all our friends and chili cook-off. And the first year I lost and I was like, I'm tired of this shit. So, I, of course, what, the next year I get like... Well, you hate losing you know, chili cook-offs? Is that... Yeah. That's your, okay. I don't know. It's my competitive nature. And the chilies out there were kind of average. So, next year, uh, you know... I, started following barbecue YouTubers and got one recipe off there, which was an awesome brisket, used brisket chili and won the damn thing. So really just started following his recipes and I make these damn armadillo eggs that he does. And he, he makes me look like an all-star every time I do one of his recipes. So that's, uh, you know, my, that's my story of finding 
my place in the meat church. <laughs> well, I think that's going to be a good kind of segue into it. I think there's going to be a lot of good things because, you know, you bring up chili. I remember talking to a lot of people in Texas. They're like, because we're always, at least around here, the, the question is, is do you put noodles in your chili? You know, you got Gold Star and Skyline and stuff like that. People from Texas are like, what do you mean? No, it's just, it's either beans or no beans. <laughs> so there's a, there's a whole like chili holy war going on between that as well. I guess we'll debate all that today for 45 minutes, you know, different barbecue folklores. But uh, yes, got introduced to our guest through the Dallas Bourbon Club. Brian Lowe uh, is a good friend and, you know, I think they had met and then he called me and he's like, I think this guy's like your brother or something. He's like, he's like, you are like the same person, but just doing different things. And so I need to hook you all up. So that's how we got connected and then uh, talked on the phone a few times and flew out there and met him. And so really excited to share our guest with our audience today, he's a, he's a character, really good guy and a, you know, a really good cook. So I'm just excited to share his story with our audience today. For sure. And a mainstay of the barbecue circuit here as well. So today on the show, we have Matt Pittman. He is the founder of Meat Church, or as other people like to stock on the streets, they go, are you the Meat Church guy? So Matt, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited. Yeah, man. And so I, I, before we get into the barbecue and bourbon and everything like that, let's let's kind of take it a little bit further back so people kind of get to know more about you. Sort of, where did you grow up? I know that we've talked before because me and you have a, have a history in tech as well at one point too, but how did you sort of grow up and was barbecue an influence with that growing up, you know, in Texas and everything like that as well? Well, I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, spent a lot of time in Alabama, half my family's from from there. And so, you know, I always tell people I'm from the deep south and didn't have any real connection to barbecue. Nobody in my family was like a pit master or anything like that. But, you know, just enjoyed pulled pork and ribs, I would always say, just like the next guy that lives in the south. If you said barbecue to me as a kid, that, you know, it was one of those two things. Um, my grandmothers, one in uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one in Scottsboro, Alabama, they were, as all Southern women, just big-time cooks, not barbecue pit masters. Just your typical Southern cook. You'd come home from church and have this ginormous table of food within an hour. I still don't know how they pulled that off, you know, like 95 vegetables and fried chicken. But anyway— probably sous vide is probably what they were doing, right? <laughs> definitely not sous vide. <laughs> But I was, um, you know, I was always really enamored with cooking and and was the one in the kitchen wanting to learn. And so I credit those two women with teaching me how to cook. Um, I did not want to go to culinary school. I did have desires to be a chef, but I was, you know, keenly focused on, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, but going to business school and making what I'd call a real living is kind of what I was focused on. First person in my family to go to college. So I just had, you know, that sort of goal in mind. Where'd you go to college? I went to UTA, uh, University of Texas Arlington. Uh, divorce brought me here as a kid. My parents divorced, and I followed my dad down here at 13, moved around a ton, and uh, applied at Alabama, which is where I wanted to go, and uh, there was no way he was paying for that. So I followed the scholarship. It ended up being probably probably one of the best decisions of my life. So you know, put, my, put myself through college locally, so stayed local in the Dallas-Fort Worth area ever since I was 13. And how the story ends is barbecue is a big deal in Texas. I say it's a, it's a religion in Texas, but our barbecue here is very different from what I grew up on in the South. In the South, it's sweet and has barbecue sauce generally. In here, it's more of a salt and pepper base, not a lot of sauce, cooked very simplistically, and it's beef. And I kind of always wanted to do it, but that also wasn't my mission. 
I didn't really know what I would end up doing. I got a degree in finance, um, but jumped into IT, as you mentioned. And I was in IT for 20 years uh, in financial services companies. So worked in operations, doing hardware, everything from desktop to support to, I managed at the end, multiple data centers, our cloud infrastructure. I can't remember all the acronyms now. <laughs> Please spare us of them. Yeah, yeah. spare us those acronyms. <laughs> not, it, I'll tell you, not nearly as exciting as the life I lead now, but... What happened was, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm really just giving you the whole dang story. But let's, let's hear it. We're here that's, for it. That's man. what a podcast for. We're not doing a 20 minute YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> so a couple things happened. I had two buddies in my fraternity that liked to make barbecue. One guy, his dad had a pit that he knew a prison warden in Louisiana, and he built you know prison labor like built this pit. So he had this massive pit, and he'd say, "Hey, man, you want to come over and make barbecue?" And I thought we we're going to make like two racks of ribs, and I get there and. He's got like 60 racks of ribs on the smoker. So I was like thrown into this like, okay, this is cool moment. And then the other thing that happened was uh, right as I got out of college, I'm a big Cowboys fan, unfortunately. And I went to the um, old Texas Stadium and applied for a job uh, as an usher. Got it. Worked there five years. And then I decided I wanted to be a fan and just watch the game. So me and three buddies bought season tickets, one ticket each. Weren't very expensive, like 30 bucks a ticket a game. And somebody had to cook. And so we went out and bought this little grill, and I just agreed to start cooking in the parking lot. So I, you know, got thrown into being this outdoor cook on a regular basis, really liked it. And then, as with anything I do, if I'm going to jump into something, I go full force. Like one day I decided I was going to start doing triathlon, and three years later I did a full Ironman, and then I hung it up and moved on. So this was the same thing. I went all in, have been described as a, is a barbecue nerd. So just have tried to learn everything, like all the different regions of barbecue. Why do people do the things they do? And so accidentally, uh, my hobby became a business. I got picked to be on a TV show in 2014, Barbecue Pitmasters. And uh, they told me if I made a barbecue product to bring it, which I did, I didn't sell it at the time. And so that's uh, the very uh, truncated version of how Meat Church was formed. So born in the South and just loved to eat and learn from my grandmothers and you know, just a couple things happened, and next thing you know, I'm getting crazy about it, and now I'm talking on your podcast. <laughs> Were there any, like, inspirations or, like, people, pit masters you looked up to or learned from, you know, back in the day? Like, modern meat churches from, you know, back then? So, meat church technically started in 2014, and I had started Instagram, but social media, you know, Facebook was definitely around, but, you know, I actually didn't care for Facebook, so I didn't use it, so... You know, when you if someone in 2023 wants to pick up some new hobby, you can just go Google, YouTube, social media, look up whatever. I didn't really do that. I just, you know, made these two seasonings by hand. But then I did start looking around at kind of the best and the best and who did what. And I didn't know anybody, but we we got notoriety pretty quick. And then that opened doors for me. So now I'm friends with like every well or most well-known pitmasters around. And they're really just an open book. Like I could I can pick up the phone and call you know, Chris Lilly, world champion and say, how, you know, I'm trying to do this. What do you think? And they'll tell you barbecues, the the people in it, I said, it's called a barbecue family. They're super open, but there's a lot of people I look up to. Um, I'm a, you know, I think Texas, Texas cuisine and Southwestern cuisine is my favorite, especially that relates to outdoor cooking. So that's my style. But with that said, you know, I've lots of inspirations like Sam Jones in the Carolinas, Billy Durney in New York. Uh, I mentioned Chris Lilly in Alabama, Tuffy Stone in Virginia. 
obviously tons of people in Texas. There's this famous list called the Texas Monthly Top 50, uh, which is like the top 50 barbecue joints in the state. And guys all over that list, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be friends, like very, very good friends with a whole lot of the people on that list. I collaborate with them a lot, you know, can poke them around and ask questions about how do you do this or that. And I'm just a sponge when it comes to that. So I'm it's not like I'm definitely not trying to be one person. I'm just looking at the whole body of work and understanding why thing, why, you know, again, why people do things and learning from that. And, and I constantly change things up based on that, but tons of influences. I'm curious, did they embrace you at first or like, or are they like, Oh, it's just this barbecue YouTuber that's on there with a fancy name and this and that, like how have they embraced, I guess, Matt Pittman in the meat church. Yeah, it's a great question. They, you know, everyone's always been pretty open with me. I didn't do YouTube at the time and our social did take off. Our Instagram did grow pretty quick, but it, you know, wasn't as obviously as big as it is now years ago. And I don't know if it was people seeing me in demonstrations or if they saw the food that I was cooking, but I've never felt like I was on the outside. People have always embraced me, which has been which has been awesome. And then now, you know, I commonly say I'm not a YouTuber. I know, I know people consider me a YouTuber. We just broke 500,000 um, subscribers last week. And so I guess, you know, I am a YouTuber, but, you know, I really try to differentiate myself. A lot of people on YouTube are just making, you know, they're seeing what someone else does and they're just copying it and going and repeating it. Whereas we bring a depth of knowledge. And to answer your question, like Tuffy Stone told me last year, he was a judge on Pitmasters in 2014 when I was there, and he pulled me aside and he said, you know, where you've come in that short period of time, and and um, he complimented me on just my approach, what I've done with it. He called it a gift that I have and kind of how I go and teach and educate, and, you know, I don't I don't shove my way down anyone's throat. I'm like, you have to do it. I don't, I don't tell you you've got to do it this way or that way, and I don't criticize the way that you choose to cook or what you choose to cook on. So a lot of the experts have said they appreciate that style, and, I mean, look, in 2023, we talked about this. Uh, Ryan, you know, these content creators that they're just there to entertain you for 60 seconds and, you know, get these huge accounts. That's not us. I mean, we do want to be entertaining, but we're here to provide like longstanding education. So I think people respect that. Yeah. On the, on the education side of things, it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying, how you became almost inundated with research. Like whenever you want to learn something, you go all in, try to figure out as much as you did. You did the same thing in barbecue. Is that something that was just bestowed on you growing up as just trying to make sure that you get a good education and learn about things or like what, what drives you to want to really dive in and learn as much as you can about a particular subject? You know, I, I ask myself that a lot because there were no educators in my family. And I remember when I was in college at one point, I thought it'd be pretty cool to be a college professor, but I didn't stick with that idea because I was just, like I said earlier, I was really focused on going and making like as much money as I could, I guess is what I would say, you know, or more money than, than I guess a college professor would make. But I don't, you know, and I wouldn't say that I love school. I mean, I made good grades and got an academic scholarship, but, you know, I stopped after my undergrad. I didn't go on to graduate school and look, go for a PhD or anything. So I don't know. But I'm when I get interested in something, and that really is like how I am about bourbon right now, and we talked about that, Ryan, is, again, I just... I don't just want to see one way to do it. It's like, I want to understand the science of it. And I know there's different ways. And, you know, if you travel to another country and have a dish, like some sort of protein made a completely different way, you know, you're going to look at your wife and be like, man, this is really good. What's well, the same thing here? You know, I'm like, you know, you can make pork belly a certain way, but then once somebody starts cooking it a different way and has different flavor profile, it just really interests me. And so that's, I just start digging. And ultimately to answer your question, I find joy in sharing 
all this information with people. So what you were talking about winning the, you know, chili cook-off, when people tell me they've used my recipes or teaching to either make a dish that their friends say, yeah, it was the best ribs I ever had in my life or, you know, one XYZ competition, that's fulfilling to me. I think people open restaurants because obviously they want to make money, but they want somebody to pat them on the shoulder and be like, man, that's the best meal I've had in two months. This is my version of that. When you come back and say you love this, now I don't have to have a restaurant and work these crazy, horrible hours, and I can get the satisfaction from knowing that what we do makes a difference, basically. Or when we host our barbecue schools and they sell out in 30 seconds, it's that it's that sort of thing, you know, that, that sort of feedback that drives me to do what I'm going to do. But there were no educators. No one in my family said, go be a teacher. So I really don't know where it came from other than just being a nerd about what I'm doing. So what made you want to go? not the traditional say, I, I'm really good at barbecue. I should open a restaurant. I could build something off this versus going the media route. What made you want to take that certain angle? Well, I would tell one of the biggest things I tell people is I am not trying to be anybody else. I want to cut my own path and do my own thing. And my business model was really unique for a long time. Now there are people kind of emulating it, but to be able to create cooking products or in my case, barbecue products that that people want and then you know, I, I always say we do two things. We One is that we sell these physical barbecue products, and two is that we we have whatever it is that I do, whether I'm showing up in an event or teaching or partnering with a brand or whatever. But to be able to just go do classes, do pop-ups when I want, which I don't do that a lot, show up at festivals and serve my food, you can't just get – no one can, you know, on a Tuesday at noon go get meat church food. So it's, it's kind of like, oh, when they're at this festival, they want to go try it and see if, you know, if I can practice what I preach. So I really just wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to be unique and be different, do something nobody else was doing. And now it's kind of cool that people kind of want to do that. And then it kind of bugs me that I'm like, well, go be original, you know, do do something different. But <laughs> but it's worked out. I mean, I was at the, the dentist. Church has done it already. Yeah. 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 And it, this, the lady that was cleaning my teeth said, you know, are you going to open a restaurant? And I said, never. And I don't mean that never, but we've been fortunate to build a model that works so I can spend time with my family on a Friday night and Saturday night and not have to be in a restaurant. But I'm still very enamored by it, so we'll see one day. What came first, the the product side or the the media and education side? The the product side. Well, definitely the product side. That was a physical thing that we were selling. But I credit cooking to fueling the business because the beginning of the brand was I started Instagram, and I mean, I probably within the first week, I remember I was like cooking a steak on a big green egg. And I would just take a picture of it. And I would say, here's a ribeye that I seasoned with my holy cow rub. I cooked it at, you know, over medium, high heat for X amount of minutes using my instant read thermometer. Here's what I did. And I realized quickly that I was giving people something that they wanted. That I started hearing people, you know, people were saying your food looks good. But then I realized they were, I was teaching them and I was giving free education. And then ultimately I realized that was my marketing. That was fueling our sales. So today we don't spend money on typical advertising I mean, we actually had a meeting about it this week. You know, do we need to go do some traditional stuff or can we just still rely on Matt's cooking to inspire people and hopefully buy the products? So it was the physical products first. What was that moment or that thing that said, okay, I'm sure that you didn't say, I'm quitting my life, IT, cold turkey. I'm just going to go over here and start slinging barbecue products. There had to been a phase where you're, you're hustling, you're trying to make it both happen at once. So what was the tipping point for you? Well, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur going back to junior high, like making bracelets and candy and like cleaning old bicycles up and lawnmowers and selling them on first Mondays. And 
So that was always in my blood. Got to college and was selling T-shirts, made our fraternity party shirt. And the next thing you know, a sorority wants me to make it for them. And I'm making intramural shirts. And so I thought I'd have this T-shirt business. Well, when I got in my like main corporate job, my first job, I was there 13 and a half years, first job after college. And I always say that sucks entrepreneurial spirit out of you because then you're like, all right, my boss said to be here at this time and do these things, get promoted. And you just, you know, then you meet a girl and you start a family and life changes. But this wasn't expected, right? I did, you know, I went on this TV show, took my two rubs on there in January of 2014. I finished a solid third place out of three contestants. Uh, you know, I was on the podium, um, but the show aired. You're in, so humble in April. about it too. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the show aired three months later, and we launched MeatChurch.com, filed for a trademark, and we listed the shirt hat that I wore on the show, and then two rubs. And then a shirt and hat I didn't wear on the show. And I sold six things that day. And the first order was to a mutual friend, Tommy Trogdon. And so, boom, there's the business. Well, the first year, it was kind of just like a cool hobby. I'd come home after work. I'd go in my office. I'd see we'd had five to ten orders. I'd box them up and ship them. The second year, one of our sons would start helping me package it. And I was driving this stuff, you know, to the post office. So I have pictures of this stuff sitting on my front porch. It was hilarious. It'd be like 40 boxes on my front porch. Sure, the driver loved you. <laughs> yeah, they they hated me. Like USPS hates me. I mean, I spend millions of dollars with them today, and they could care less. They want me to die. <laughs> but you know, the first two years total hobby. In the third year, you know, our revenue really kept doubling every year. And in the third year, I was like, okay, this is getting really interesting. And I thought in that moment I could probably do this. But herein lies the problem. I met my wife. We were in our early thirties. She had a when I met her two boys in elementary school. And anyway, now we, we now have a 10 and 11 year old also. So if you do the math, you know, I had a family and if in the fourth year, I knew this can be something, but she wasn't having it. So it was really in the fifth year that I officially left, but it took me six months of working on her to get her to allow me to leave. And so to answer your question, the moment came when I saw the revenue, the, the net revenue was that of my salary. But the good thing was, I, I started this like at 40 years old, so I wasn't 28. I always tell people, unfortunately, I didn't figure this out when I made $25,000 a year. I couldn't just jump from one to the other. I figured it out when I was an officer in a company that we had just taken public. I have four kids. Two are now in college. I did not save for those two from birth because I wasn't with them at birth. One of them was playing football in college. One of them wanted to be on Broadway and was in a really expensive private school. And, you know, to prepare for that. So, and we were trying to pay for it. So it wasn't as simple as like, just walk away. I had a, I had a great career job, right? Like a big bullet point on LinkedIn kind of thing. And now I can tell the story a lot easier now because I couldn't understand why my wife wouldn't want me to leave. And one day she finally said something that clicked with me. She said, why would you ever leave that job? And I was like, well, why wouldn't I? And, but I realized her her thought process was, we have this major stability. You have an amazing job. You make a great salary. And this job called Meat Church makes you crazy because you work it all night. You spend all your vacation time doing it. So I basically had to tell her, all right, well, now our vacations can be like family vacations. And I won't be going to, you know, cook for country music stars on time off. So that I did at that moment. I've, I've, I've been gone from my corporate career just at four years now. Just over four years. Uh, the beginning of this past year was four year anniversary, and it's it's been awesome. I mean, it you know to not have to answer to someone and be responsible for your own destiny. It's no doubt stressful. As I sit in the middle of the first lawsuit I've ever had in my life, that you know you there it doesn't come without its pitfalls. 
But being able to wake up and be like, hey, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to talk to my buddies on a bourbon podcast. Like, it's awesome. So talk about the first year you went, the four years ago. Compare the year you left from the the year after you left. I guess that first year. Were you able to, like, exponentially grow because you were able to focus on it? or Yeah, and, and what yeah, exactly. Because what tactics did you use to say, well, now that I don't have to spend my time on my my actual job, I can spend my time and I'm going to put my efforts and I'm going to grow the business in X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Thank you, Kenny. I was fumbling through that question, but <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm picking up and taking it for the touchdown for you. <laughs> that, that's right. I mean, you, you first have the, well, there was a big relief. I mean, I had a retirement party, which I just thought it was cool to say that word at that age. And I felt like I can go fish every day and do whatever I want, but that's not how I'm wired. You know, when I wake up, I'm thinking, what, what can I be doing or what do I need to be doing sort of thing? You know, so I immediately had this thing inside of me to, you've got to make this work. So I told my wife, she goes, what's your day's going to look like? And I said, well, every day I'll go to the grocery store. I'll go down to HEB and I'll buy a piece of meat and I'll cook it that morning. And then I'll put it on social media and talk about how I did it. And it'll be real intentional. It won't just be when I have time. Well, that, of course, went by the wayside immediately because I decided to open a brick and mortar store in our town. So that took a bunch of time trying to figure out what that would look like. But she would tell you that nobody works harder. You know, I, I barely sleep because I'm constantly, this business is on my brain 24 seven, but I was able to pour. I mean, it was my focus at that point. I didn't take time off. I jumped right in and you know, the revenue doubled again that year. So I, I felt really comfortable, but the thing I skipped over earlier, what made this easier was the meat church was on the side. It didn't have to work. So we banked all all the profits. We didn't spend any of it. So we had a little bit of cushion in case something didn't work. But with that said, I doubled down on like being intentional about what I was doing, like how we were sharing what we were cooking. We did start to do YouTube, not right away. We did just, you know, videos here and there. And I started to look at what are different things that we could start doing. And we had to start growing our wholesale business because the majority of our business was direct consumer on meatchurch.com. And our wholesale business was much smaller, but we don't have a stale staff. We didn't then, we don't now. It's all word of mouth. So it's been it's been really, really unique. But we've been fortunate that the business has doubled every year in size, except this past year. You know, at some point, it's not going to continue to double. But through those first three years of being out of the company, and then COVID happened. So it was gigantic blessing to be in my space. I know COVID was bad for a lot of people, but put yourself in my shoes. Everyone had to stay at home. So you know, people were buying grills and seasoning and creating new social media. And so people went nuts over our content, basically. And so we really grew that year. No, it's it's amazing. It's awesome to see the growth and the congratulations on all the success. And I know that I've talked to our mutual friend, Tommy, that you had mentioned earlier, and you do a lot of things where you do cooking classes, where you invite people over to, do you call it the meat church, where they you yeah. go and it's like a whole day with hanging out with Matt, trying to figure out how to cook all these depths of different types of barbecue? Yeah, you know, I. so we've lived in this current house for six years. And right before we moved, I had this idea of doing a class. And I thought, maybe it'd be cool to come to my house because it's all backyard barbecue at the end of the day. It'd be cool to be in my backyard. But my last house, the backyard was big, but it wasn't really conducive to hosting people just the way it was set up. So we built an outdoor kitchen in this at this house that's insane. You know, it's a little over the top for an outdoor kitchen. But it, it kind of... Like from a business perspective, it's badass. But if, you know, if it's on a Thursday with your family and you walk outside, it it kind of feels more like a business than it does a backyard. And everybody that comes over thinks it's cool. But I listed a class to come to Matt's backyard and learn, you know, four meats and it sold out. And 
I don't remember when I need to go look and see when the first class was. It's been somewhere around five years ago, but we've never not sold out. And people fly from all over the world, which is bizarre. You know, one time we had a 40, the the class in the backyard hold 40 people. And we had people from 17 states and three countries at one of those. And we taught about a month ago. We had two classes in one particular week at a whiskey distillery that we use their big, uh, they have like a big meeting room at TX Whiskey Ranch in Fort Worth. It's a gorgeous place for an event. So we hosted 275 people over two nights, and we had people from 25 different states. And these are on Tuesdays and Thursdays, not even on the weekend. So it's definitely become a thing. I can't meet the demand. I'm not really, tr- I mean, I don't want to say I'm not trying to meet the demand. That would be tough. But I'm not having to travel to go do classes like I used to because I can list these here. And, and they're, they're, you know, they're kind of like a show. There's I tell jokes and get a little off color here and there. <laughs> but, but you get to have my foods and it's a ton of fun. Like I've got a group of guys that come and help me, guys and girls, about 10 of us, takes about 10 of us to pull a class like that off. I cook all the food, but they cut it and plate it and prepare it and serve it. And um, the same people want to come over and over and over to help. That's how much they like it, which is crazy. But it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a crazy phenomenon for sure. And I can vouch for his patio. He's got like 15, I think I counted 14 or 15 girls. And that's only at this house. <laughs> I tell people like, when people gosh. pop off based on what I'm smoking on, we'll give them a little flex and like, look, man, I got 30 girls and smokers, so we could choose something else if you want. <laughs> yeah. When I when I came back home, people were like, What did you learn to cook just like I was like, Well, hell no, I didn't. He's got 15 different cooking apparatuses. <laughs> I have one. I tell you, what, I'd, I'd be like your neighbor. I'd just be peeking my head up over those fence lines and be like, "What are you cooking today, Matt? Looks smells good over there." <laughs> well, I felt bad over those two days of cooking so much. The wind blows, you know, that direction, and my one neighbor smells it all. So we we made him a rack of ribs, you know, while while Ryan was here, you know, just as like a peace offering. <laughs> that's that's what I was gonna ask her, like, because you know we shot for a couple of days, but it took like my clothes and my bag smelled like smoke for like <laughs> a weekend and. I'm like, are you just like immune to that? I guess. Yeah. Like, or- yeah. I mean, my wife does the laundry every day, and uh, you know, she doesn't really care for that smell anymore. But it's, I need to figure out how to bottle it and sell it like cologne. But yeah, it's a, it's the <laughs> constant. Like permeated in my beard from from the weekend. I don't have any clothes that are not stained. Uh, you know, I work with Dickies Workwear, and they're like, oh, well, these pants are stain resistant. I'm like, mm, no, they're probably not. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't pass the meat church test there. <laughs> I mean, I've also seen a lot of cool things you've done. I mean, you were on ESPN Game Day recently as well, weren't you? Yeah, the kickoff the season, uh, Texas and Alabama here in Austin or down in Austin. Crazy. You know, I was I was in Canada fishing. I was doing a guest chef dinner in Haidegua, Canada, which is almost to Alaska. And while I'm there, I'm coming home on a Friday. Yeah, I was getting home on Friday and they asked if I could be in Austin Saturday to do college game day, which I'm not going to say no to that. So I had to get creative on how to how to get it cooked. But yeah, that was that was a ton of fun. Pat McAfee called me the like meat church high priest or something, something like that. It was his first day. It was awesome. Were you cheering for the tide or, or Texas? Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where did uh, so where, where, I don't think we've asked this. Where did I don't even think I asked this. Where did the like the whole me church concept and then like the gospel and all voodoo, you know, it seems like there's all this like religious context to the rubs and whatnot. Well, yeah, it's pretty. So there's a food writer in Dallas. Her name's Alice. And she tweeted years ago, like maybe 2012 or 2013, a picture of a tray of barbecue at a barbecue joint called Slow Bone in Dallas. And it was on a Sunday morning just before noon. And she said something like, I'm about to have my hashtag meat church. 
And I just thought that was funny. And so I screenshot it and I've got, I've got to find some of my phone somewhere. And she um, operates a charity called Meet Fight that is uh, fights MS. It's an amazing charity. And I asked her if I could use the name and her husband's an attorney and actually gave me advice on helping me trademark it. But so I grew up Southern Baptist and I thought, you know, why we do what we do. Now we say Meat Church is about bringing people together to make great memories around good food. But it's as simple as the communal aspect of food. Think about how much time you spend around a table, the memories you make around that, right? Like the brisket you had last week might have been good, but you won't remember that five years down the road. You'll remember hanging out and that sort of thing. So, you know, we're not trying to be too religious per se, but it's kind of cool how we're able to just kind of like tiptoe around it. And I was, I was pretty nervous about it, to be honest with you at first, because I thought, man, my, my grandmother and grandfather that were still alive at the time, I'm like, they're going to, you know, they're going to not like this at all, (laughs) but they, they were very cool about it. And I remember, I'll never forget this. I was doing a demo in Austin and a priest starts walking towards me. And I was like, Oh, I like a big lump (laughs) in my throat. And he got, he got close to me and he said, meet church. And I said, yes, sir. He said, he said, now that's a congregation I can get behind. <laughs> but the amount of people at churches that reach out, it's a lot. And we've only ever had like, I can literally count on one hand the amount of people that have complained about the name. It's it's easy to offend people in 2023. And luckily it's it's been good. I think the name has been a gigantic portion of our success. Because you'll walk through an airport with a meat church hat or shirt on and people will ask you like, what is, that's two words that don't go together. That's what I used to say. Now, now you walk through those and people are like, oh, meet church. You know, you it's kind of cool that I always walk up to people. I'll be like, I like your shirt. And half the time they'll like double take. I'm like, oh, wait, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> the meet church guy. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the video and YouTube process because like, you know, I think we were talking, you try to keep most of them like 20 minutes or less, just kind of concise and short. And I was amazed at how much work goes into like just making a 20 minute video and like how much setups involved and the angles and this and that. And you had, you, you now have a film career. I'm assuming you didn't when you started, but maybe you did. Where does that, I guess that attention to detail come from? It's like you, you all are obsessed over every little detail when uh, it was like, no, the meat's not shiny enough for this or that. And you're like, yeah. I'm like, holy cow, it, it looks good. You know, it's like, but see, I like what you just said there. Holy cow. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> it no, no pun intended. It worked. Well, so Kirk, who you met, shoots all our videos, and Kirk's a longtime friend of mine. I've known his family for a long time, and he uh, was on TV show Fast and Loud, Richard Rawlings' Gas Monkey Garage, and he would, you know, I decided I want to shoot my first YouTube video, and so I paid him like a day rate to come over and shoot a video with me, and I and I just liked it, and so we we did that a few times, and at some point... Our YouTube channel went to a number where we could start monetizing it fairly quick, but I think it's because we have a big customer base. You know, we have large social media, so we could be like, hey, go follow us on YouTube. And we got to a decent number without a ton of videos. And uh, from there, I was like, I could look at what I was paying him on an ad hoc basis, freelance basis, or I could bring him on full time. So I did. And it was a one person thing. But then once what we realized was I brought in a second person, Don, who's my Swiss Army knife. He could just help me shop sometimes, prep some stuff. If we're doing multiple videos in one day, then he can help clean and reset. Because the thing with this business that's stressful is everything is on me, right? At one point, I was the only employee, and I literally did everything. So video is the same way. And uh, now those guys are a godsend. So we try to shoot every other week, a couple videos every other week. That gives us one a week. 
But it's, you know, we're always evolving. Like now with everyone making such short videos like TikTok and Reels, you know, we, I always tell them all the time, like our lives could be a lot easier if we quit shooting these long form videos and we just get together, do a 60 second TikTok. But I think it's on brand for us to do the educational, like we're, we're known to teach. And so if that's going to be the case, then I need to keep doing those. And, and, you know, obviously you and I collaborated on something recently, but I will bring in pit masters that I look up to and or or sometimes they're just you know newer guys whatever the case is and say hey do you want to do something together and i'm not they know i'm not trying to take any secrets i'm trying to educate the world so i'll do videos with someone else basically and that's a ton of fun for me but yeah we're pretty you know i don't know man we're you know we're influenced by i read all i read all the comments posting on youtube is i'm i'm all the keystrokes i'm the one putting it out there i'm writing the recipes i write all the copy i try to be really engaged with our people because i'm trying to help i'm not reading comments to worry about if there's a troll i'm trying to help people so uh naturally i'll read the good and the bad at first youtube is pretty savage i think anytime you go on a platform and, and you're new people are pretty rough and as time goes on then your audience like now you know we're 99 point something percent positive comments because again i'm we're all learning, right? I mean, I, I do position myself as an expert in the world of outdoor cooking, but I, I said this earlier, I don't care what device you cook on, meaning people select their cooker for a whole bunch of different reasons, budget, time, aptitude to cook, whatever. So I'm not here to tell you that you need to buy this brand of cooker and do it this way. Like you make that decision, but I'm here to tell you why people, you know, when you cook a brisket, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. I'm here to tell you that 95 different things people do and you choose what you want to do. And I think that's what has made it work. Like it's approachable and we're not judgmental. So I think, I think that's what has drawn people to our brand. So back to what you're asking about the perfection, it's just always trying to get better and improve. And it's weird. I could walk away from our business at this point and like retire, but it's, that's not how I'm wired. And I also realize we've captured something amazing i always say lightning in a bottle and so you know you gotta strike while the iron's hot or make hay while the sun's shining so we're gonna keep doing it i was amazed like i walk over one day and you know and they're all sitting around watching the same youtube video of someone else taking notes of like what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it and like how they were going to implement it and i was like damn me and kenny never like storyboard like this <laughs> we well we, like, yeah, like, we so just what, wing it we're freaking peasants <laughs> now what we you know now what we'll do is is we don't, you know, we really don't care how other people cook or like what they're doing. And I always tell people like, I'm, I'm trying to be observant of what's going on in the world. So if you like, if you're on YouTube and you go in YouTube studio, it on the first page, it tells you the other channels that people watch it, that your customers will, or your people watch. So you immediately look over and say, Oh, I know that one or that one. I've never heard of that one. And so we'd start, okay, what are they doing? And I just want our, I want best and breed for everything we do. So I want our videos to be better than other people. And so we'll often look to see what people are doing and kind of what their gear is like and what their setup is like. And we're really spoiled with the kitchen we built here. So it's really just like how, you know, just what are they doing and do we need to be doing it different or is what we're doing right? Because people won't tell you. So anyway, interesting. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's doing the top 10 grills for 2023. So you'll all have to figure that one out too, right? But you know, I do want to kind of pivot a little bit and, and start talking about the bourbon aspect. So at what point did, did bourbon kind of make an influence on you? And, and you kind of, again, going back to your researching and kind of want to go all in, like how, how did you really start finding a, a gravitational pull towards it? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. 
And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So at what point did, did bourbon kind of make an influence on you and, and you kind of, again, going back to your researching and kind of want to go all in, like how, how did you really start finding a, a gravitational pull towards it? Well, so in college, you know, I, I drank beer. I'll just say that. And there were friends of mine that drank. There was a lot of guys that drank Crown. And that just wasn't my, I didn't, I didn't care for it. So I just didn't do it. Right. And I did, growing up Southern Baptist family, there wasn't a lot of drinking. Um, so bourbon just wasn't really a thing just based on who I was around, what I did growing up. So when in my last corporate job, I worked in Fort Worth, Texas, five miles from the TX Whiskey Distillery. And TX is very popular in Texas, obviously. And uh, when they came out with their bourbon, I didn't really, you know, I didn't drink that whiskey either. But when their bourbon came out, it became like a, my observation of it was, it wasn't like a, I don't know if you could say it was a cult following, but, you know, I led IT and I remember we had, you know, we'd have chat rooms on our IM and someone would say, Specs has the bourbon and the office would empty and all the guys would be gone to go buy the bourbon. And then the founders of the company, Troy and Leonard, became very well known in Fort Worth. And you'd see them at like the rodeo and stock show. And they were just, it was a big deal in Fort Worth. Well, they start building this new facility called Whiskey Ranch. They bought an old golf course in a really bad part of Fort Worth. Like you would not go build anything there. But I now know they needed this space for their rick houses to age and whatnot. So I got invited to do a guest chef dinner out there, which I did. And I had my barbecue rig out there. Well, randomly, Troy and Leonard walked over, saw it, and started a conversation with me. And we hit it off. And we just started a friendship. And I looked at those guys and I said, you know, I teach these barbecue schools in my backyard. And I'm not looking for a new venue, but it kind of seems like we should do something together. Like, this place screams Texas. And they said, totally. So next thing you know, I host a class there. It's a, it's a huge success. We start doing them regularly. They bring all their executives, like everyone goes, and it becomes a big deal. So we start a partnership. So I've partnered with TX for uh, just over four years. Lots changed. They got bought by Pernod Ricard at some point. Leadership's changed like four times in three years. So things are really, really different now. 
so that's that's one major thing, right? And I started drinking old fashions at these events and really started liking them and started pushing myself to try different bourbons. Now, socially, you would only ever hear me talk about TX because I had a partnership with them and naturally that's all I could, you know, mention on social media at the time. Well, time goes on and I become friends with Pete Delkus, who's a local um, Channel 8, does the weather for Channel 8 here, and he's in Dallas Bourbon Club. And uh, the Dallas Bourbon Club, you know, is an amazing organization that does incredible charity work. So it's only 150 members. You guys know all about it, right? But the cool thing about it, obviously, bourbon is a is a big part of it, and the networking is a big part of it. But I've always been a big philanthropy guy and charity guy and big big believer that you should give back. Well, Pete calls me one day and says, I'm going to come down to one of your barbecue schools. I'm bringing a couple of people from the station, but I want to bring a bunch of guys from the Dallas Bourbon Club. And I said, sounds like fun. And he knew that I'd been starting to drink some, you know, trying to expand my knowledge in bourbon. So the guys come down. Well, uh, my wife drinks wine or vodka, you know, doesn't drink bourbon. And she comes to the class, which she doesn't normally attend. Well, the guys bring bottles and we have a share table. And I look at this table and I'm like, Whoa, like looking, yeah, looking I can imagine if, if you're not used to that sort of thing and yeah. because a lot of bourbon people are and all of a sudden you've got 100, 150 bottles of just random bourbon out there and a lot of them times you've never seen those labels before. It's a little overwhelming. Very expensive, right? A lot of them are picks. So they have cool stickers on them. Anyway, so we have this class and it's, it's supposed to be over at eight or nine o'clock. We're all, including my wife, we're all having such a good time. We stay till like midnight. And uh, Brian Lowe, President and I, we hit it off. Another guy, Dustin Stone, we hit it off. And so, you know, I, I joined last year, and uh, our main signature pick for the year, Sweller Foolproof, benefited Bonton Farms. So one of the things that I think is cool is the charities always change, and they're usually charities that I've not heard of. And they're, and they're crazy, amazing causes that just really kind of speak to you. So that one is everyone that works at this farm is formerly incarcerated, Really cool story, and that one raised $77,000 just amongst the members before they even went outside to do anything else. So I did a bunch of, at the drop pickup, I did a bunch of, um, I cooked breakfast just because I wanted to. It's kind of like, you know, we talked about before, Ryan, like that's just, that's why I do what I do. That's why I call it meat church. So I go make this barbacoa and smoke salsa and feed everyone, and it was a ton of fun. So that's that's where it started, and I just feel like where I'm at with bourbon now is where I used to be with barbecue. You know, it's like I've definitely opened Pandora's box. <laughs> I think this is a bigger learning curve than I ever expected. Um, but it's a ton of fun because, you know, when you start to drink something that I, it's not the same as drinking beer. But do you remember back the very first time you had a beer and it's not like it's easy to drink and you're like, why do people drink this? And and you go through it and then you start to learn and you understand you try different beers. This is the same thing, you know, or same kind of process that you know, you're trying and hearing what the different notes are and, and, and how it opens up and how it changes. And, and plus, you know, a lot of the stuff that you can't get is interesting. Cause then you, then somebody comes over and brings this like unicorn bottle and you're like, how'd you get that? And you, you know, and you try that. And uh, the funniest one I think I shared with you was we had a dinner at Pete Delkus's house and he had this Pappy 23 and we needed to go. It was time, it was time, we'd been there all night and it was time to relieve our sitters and we live an hour away. And he like pours me this massive pour of Pappy 23 and I looked at my wife and I was like, well, I can't chug this. So we're going to like, do you know how much this is? Like we're going to have to be here a little while longer. So that's where it started and kind of, I guess, kind of where it, where it's at uh, right now. And not even to mention that obviously barbecue and bourbon, I always say go together. Like the demographic crossover is insane, but I'm not, I want anyone to think that I'm like doing Google analytics going, all right, what market should I target? You know, it's not, <laughs> no, you are a tech, you are a tech guy. Yeah. yeah but, it, but it's, 
you know, anytime we talk about both, like eyes light up and, um, I have so much fun teaching these classes at whiskey ranch and whether you're having straight pours or cocktails or it just goes hand in hand. I've been saying like, it goes better, better than Adam and Eve went together. So, uh, it just makes sense. I love it. I mean, there's, there is, there's a lot of crossover between the two demographics. I know that when we started teasing that you were to come on the show, there were people that were clamoring and be like, oh my God, two of my favorite things coming together. It's, it's the, it's not the Holy Trinity, right? But I guess we got to figure out what that third component (laughs) is when we start looking at this. But you know, the, the other thing that I really find interesting about you and well, how we can kind of relate this to bourbon a little bit as well is that you said that you didn't really have a background and a history of somebody in your family that was a, a, a pit master. I mean, that's kind of the thing that happens with even bourbon today. You have this legacy that always gets carried down amongst family members. And it's like, oh, they're the fourth generation distiller. I'm assuming it's the same kind of way in the barbecue world too. There's probably generations of, of pit masters. Yeah, hundred percent. There's, you know, Chris Lilly in Alabama, who I mentioned earlier, um, his son's work at his restaurant there when he's competing there with him. And then one of his sons had a grandbaby. And so you're talking about, you know, how many generations that is. And Chris, you know, Chris didn't start it, you know, folks before him. So I'm excited to have that in my family. I mean, we have four kids and I always tell them like, it's up to you what you want to be. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to say, you need to be in the barbecue. Like I want them to do what they want to do. This is a family business and our oldest son, is uh you know one of my right hands at the company so i think it will be and i'm I'm also really into vintage stuff so i have vintage cast iron like i collect griswold skillets that are from the 30s and i often wonder like what the heck has been where who owned this and what was cooked in it my pits and my knives are really expensive pieces that should be generational so they should be with my family like i just ordered a new pit and my big ones, they they will be cooked on by my kids 100%, uh, no doubt, and maybe their kids. Um, and like I said, the knife company I'm working with, they're, they're meant to be generational pieces. So that's my hope. We finally agreed to do a cookbook, and we've just begun work on it. And I've I, you know, said forever, I'm not going to do it. The script says you got to have a restaurant, you got to have a cookbook, and I want to do my own thing. But I finally thought, my daughter-in-law shoots my pictures. How cool would it be for the Meat Church cookbook, photos by Kate Brewer, I'm like, that'll be generational, you know? So when you're gone, it'd be nice to have something that carries on your name. And, you know, I I start to think about that stuff as I get older and I never thought I'd be in a position to be doing generational planning, you know, for my family. So it would be cool if this has continued to be carried on by the family. That is cool. Yeah. You you already said cookbook. What else, what else could be on the horizon for me, church or where could it go? Well, the main two things that we're looking at is the cookbook and, and that's not like a big revenue thing. You know, I kind of just obviously just told you why I want to do that, but it's the biggest thing that we need to do is barbecue sauce. Everyone asks us forever, like, why aren't you doing sauce? And we just haven't really been set up to do it the way that I've wanted to do it. And I'm also big on not trying to be all things, all people. I'm like, I could just focus on the seasoning and be, you know, just fine. So we're really looking hard at do we pivot and bring that in as well? It makes sense. I mean, I use it so much, you know, in our cooking and I use other people's sauces currently. So maybe that potentially. Otherwise, you know, we don't have major changes or shifts or anything like that. We're, we've really liked how things have gone the past couple of years. Um, I want to try to slow down. It's, this business is like a sickness, you know, with me. Like I, I can't turn it off. This weekend, I wasn't supposed to have a lot to do. 
and I do our social because I enjoy it. And I'm like, man, I need to be sharing all this Super Bowl stuff. You know, I need to be sharing all these photos from like tailgating type cooks that people could be doing for the Super Bowl. And, you know, I'm posting all that stuff. And the next thing I know, I've been doing that for two hours. And you leave me alone for five seconds, and I'll find something new, you know, that, that we could be doing. But I'm really working hard on trying to get some work-life balance back. I did pretty good at it last summer. We bought this house in Florida and I told my wife, let's just go there for the summer and I won't work. And she was like, yeah, right. (laughs) But I did it. So I'm looking forward to doing that again. So that's what's on my horizon, figuring out how to slow down for five minutes. Yeah. If you figure it out, let us know. Can you let us know how you do that? (laughs) As I said, the next YouTube title will be how to cook a brisket, but in Florida this time. Yeah, that's right. Sure. Sure. There'll be, have to appease the SEO gods there. There is a, something else I kind of want to bring up, and that's the idea of, of a pitmaster. At what point did, were you bestowed upon the, the title of pitmaster? Did you call yourself a pitmaster? Because I find this, it's very, it kind of has a, a good tie-in with the word of, of master distiller when it comes into bourbon, because yes, you have generations of people that, yes, a pitmaster, now you've bestowed a pitmaster. The same thing with a master distiller. There's also people that just, call themselves a master distiller because they're the only people at their distillery and something like that. So kind of talk about that name, that title, sort of like what it means to you and and everything like that too. It's a great question. And, and it, that comes up a fair amount because you've got, you know, backyard cooks that have a regular job and they cook on the weekend and then can you be called that? Can you not? It's probably no different than the term chef. You know, do you do you have to go to culinary school for nine months or, or however long you go to be called a chef? Or can you just get thrown into a restaurant and be a line cook and then ultimately a sous or executive chef? You know, there's there's a lot of ways to get there. There's people that will refer to me as chef. I'm not real comfortable with that. I, I, and I do major food and wine festivals. I did Hawaii food and wine this past year uh, again, and Roy Yamaguchi calls me chef. And I'm thinking... You know, I didn't operate a restaurant, so I don't run around using that title. I my my description on Instagram says live fire cook. Pitmaster, I think, is the same way. It's like at what point can you become that? Well, obviously, if you work at a barbecue joint and you know your daily job is running the pits, then that makes sense. In my case, I cook every day. I never stop cooking. I guess, you know, you get to some in all these cases, you get to some knowledge level. There's no test, unfortunately, but you get to some point, and that's when I think it it feels right. And while I don't want to, or I'm not real comfortable being called chef, I'm very comfortable being called the pitmaster because you, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone that knows more about smoking meat. I'm not saying I'm the most knowledgeable person by any stretch, but you know, if you put me in front of a pit, I can tell you backwards and forwards how to run the proper fire, how to find the hot spots, how to adjust the proteins in it, what you got to do to get it cooked to perfection. And so I definitely see myself as an expert, like I said earlier, in live fire cooking. And so I'm comfortable with that. But there, you know, there's just no official way to say, you know, you've been knighted a pitmaster. <laughs> but it's it's a very interesting question. Is there a six day course you can do? Become a pitmaster, <laughs> get the certificate. I need I need to create one. I think you just found my next revenue stream. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Hand a medal out at the end too. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Matt, this has been amazing. It's been a pleasure to be able to talk to you. I think getting to know more about your story. For us, I think it scratched a lot of a curiosity just to kind of know exactly how you've built this business and how you've grown it to what it is today and all the success. It's, it's been great to be able to see that journey. And not only that, just to see how you're starting to venture your way into bourbon too. I think this is, of course, where there's a good intersection that happens between our audiences because 
there's a lot of people that have been in your shoes too, is that, yeah, you go to a bottle share for your first time and you see all these things and your, your eyes light up and you're like, I've, I only thought there was four roses in Jim Beam. I didn't know there was all this stuff. And that really starts opening up the eyes of, of a lot of people and really starts venturing down your bourbon journey. And you're going to start finding other ways that you can get more into the hobby and everything like that too. So it's been a real pleasure to kind of have you come on and share your story and where you are in that journey too. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, this this is like, you know, Ryan came down and we did a, a barbecue and bourbon tasting video for our YouTube channel. And it was it's it's like there's a crossover that no one expected, right? They're like, oh, what's this? Even though I love clavering people, and it was the most fun I'd had in forever. And I'm a big believer that good people help good people, basically. That's really how we've gotten to where we are. But I knew I was on to something. I failed to mention this earlier when we hosted um I was actually our very first barbecue school at this house. And someone brought me bourbon for no re- just as a gift, right? And it kind of became a thing. And I don't talk about it. I don't say, "Hey, bring me, you know, send me <laughs> good me bourbon, bourbon. <laughs> or bring me good bourbon." Yeah. But the if you look back at the gift, some people, you know, I think people go to house parties and they bring wine. That's pretty common. But that was a moment. I should have told you this in the beginning. But that was something that opened my eyes. That I've been, you know, I, I don't have a ton from that, but a, a lot of like pretty decent bottles. You know, the first time somebody comes in with like an Eagle Rare, I'm like, okay, well, that's just not some, you can't always just find that. And I'm like, that's a pretty nice gesture. And that kept happening. So more times than not, like I usually get a bottle of bourbon in every class and I have literally never said publicly that that's a thing. But that's when I was like, this is something that goes together. You're gonna have like a hundred bottles next time. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm actually fine that's with a, that. That's how you're gonna build that collection. Yeah, you were they, talking we, about you're you're building that lake bar. Yeah, so I see what we're, you're doing. Katie, now. we're building a bar where we're building a room on our house that is an actual bar. Like like if you're blindfolded, like I'm super stoked about it. And uh, Brian and I were talking about it yesterday. We're like, how are we gonna handle the bur? I want the bourbon collection to be very respectable and cool. And so we're we're working on that right now. So. Feel free to give out my address. We know some <laughs> but I, well, people bring odd stuff. Like I got some some spirit I'd never heard of at my last class. I'm kind of afraid to try it, but we should have busted that out when you were here. Nah, that's all right. Anyway, no, nah, I think you should try it <laughs> on, on YouTube. Yeah, why not on YouTube on live? Yeah, yeah. Just we'll yeah, tease just that do for the next bit. episode. What will happen when we drink this? When we drink Bajou. spirit, <laughs> somebody will implode. Bajou, there's your next video, Bajou and barbecue. Yeah. You know, but okay. uh, thanks Matt for everything. Yeah. I mean, it was gracious of you to have us down and shoot a video. It was so much fun. I think like we were, as we were shooting, it was like, I think it was like around 30 or 40 minutes, but it felt like five minutes recording yeah. it. It was like, it just, the conversation flew by and it was like, it was such a, like you said, it goes hand in hand. and uh, So fun. And PSA for everyone, uh, if you've never had a, a a mojito that Ryan makes, let me tell you something. Dangerous. Yeah. They're dangerously delicious. Super good. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm still on the hunt for, now my next quest is to find those sugarcane straws because I feel like it's not complete till I find those. That, that's right. I make this cocktail during the video, people will see it and then... I just take one sip, sit down, and like I'm like trying to move on to the next thing. And Matt's still drinking it. He's like, he's like, I'm not ready to move on from this yet. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, don't make the old fashioned quite yet. Let me. I still got yeah. this left. As your right. famous bourbon mojitos, man. Oh yeah, so good. Yep. All right, yep. we well, have to start putting out your recipes now. You have to start following. Oh, Matt's I'm sure they'll set. be on the video. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Matt does a better job at content than us. So. <laughs> <laughs> we do okay. 
Yeah, we do. Okay. <laughs> well, Matt, again, thank you for coming on the show. If people, any, anybody can Google Meat Church and find it, but how do people find out more about you, follow you on social and all that good stuff? I spend most of my time in Instagram. Just, I don't know why it's where I started and, and it's all me doing the talking, you know, um, so obviously that's where, you know, I focus my photos. YouTube, we, we talked a lot about that today. Um, you know, we put our weekly how-tos every Wednesday on there. And obviously meatchurch.com. Every recipe is hosted there. All of our products and merch and all of that. So there's your holy trinity of how to find Meat Church. Love it. That's right. There's, there there's that trinity. It all, it all came together. <laughs> well, cool. So make sure you follow Matt over at Meat Church. Follow Burn Pursuit wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, share it with a friend, write a review, all those good things too. And, you know, you can go get some Meat Church merch. You can go get some Burn Pursuit merch. You got it on our website too over at burnpursuit.com. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Toodles. Toodles.